What's up, guys? Josh here from the Rising Action Podcast. In this episode, Grayson is on vacation, so I'll be joined by Keenan from Comic Blast, and we talk about how Marvel movies have changed how we watch movies. We get into what makes the MCU a unicorn in cinema, and how also Marvel could bridge the gap between superhero films and eventually maybe be in the conversation for Academy Awards. All of that and more is coming up next, so now I'm going to shut up and get into it with Keenan. Rising Action. Rising Action. Good to go. I believe so. I just want my phone call. What do we actually know? Rising Action Podcast. <clears throat> Welcome back, everybody, to the Rising Action Podcast. I am Josh Johnson, and I'm joined by a special guest this week. We don't have Grayson. He's on vacation. He's enjoying his summer months, and we are joined this week by the co-host of the Comic Blast podcast. If you don't know, that is a podcast Grayson also does. But I'm joined by his co-host over there, Keenan. Yep, AKA that's me. Keenan Creates. Yeah. Um, dude, I'm super excited to be on this episode in particular because of the show topics that you picked out for me. I feel like they were kind of tailored for me. 100%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I definitely appreciate you looking out. Um, but yeah, I'm super pumped. Obviously, I've been listening and uh, there's been like some really cool crossover between Rising Action and Comic Blast lately, which I've appreciated. But yeah, it's super pumped to talk about um, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So um, Keenan is, I think you kind of came up with the concept for Comic Blast, but Comic Blast is a, what was it? Um, I think Grayson said it once, but it's like a one-stop shop for like everything nerd. Yeah, I mean, it started off, I, I had a YouTube channel before, um, before like Grayson was even in college and, and was like int interested in stuff like this. And um, for the longest time, uh, it just was going to be about comics, really. Uh, and then, you know, I got Grayson involved, so we finally were able to like work things out and... Um, and then as we like as we started the podcast it did start with like just comics and then we realized you know we're both really interested in the same sort of things granted they're all really nerdy things right um so the podcast kind of evolved into this like one-stop shop for comic related stuff and just really anything in the entertainment industry is what we're really covering but most of it is comics but you know star wars and you know, we've done reviews for like John Wick and us and like, you know, some of the hit movies that are out. So we just really talked about the things that we like on there. And it's been a blast, pun intended. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I've been listening to them for a while personally, but I thought we have not broached this subject at all on Rising Action yet. And, you know, we've kind of gone like full bore into what I like to call just like film culture. Sure. Um, We've also talked about some books and, and different things like that. Uh, but this episode, we're going to kind of break off of the, the mold a little bit because, and I think it just kind of lined up perfectly, but I think Marvel in general, and unfortunately DC hadn't quite kept up, but I think Marvel has really done a lot for filmmaking and for how people like you and I approach movies. Yeah. And... Um, I think that's something worth mentioning, at least. I think Marvel movies get a lot of hate mm -hmm. from uh, film people. Yeah. And I... 
you know, some some points that the film people bring up have a little bit of merit, and some points that the Marvel people bring up also have some merit. Sure. Um, and we'll get into some more of those points a little bit later. But just right off the rip, I think you're a much bigger Marvel fan than even I am. I think I really only own Civil... I think Civil War is the only uh, Blu-ray in my collection right now that is a Marvel movie. Just uh, so I, I need to step it up, but <laughs> I think you're a much bigger Marvel fan than I am. So just kind of like dive into what it is just off the bat that like attracts you to Marvel movies and that separates them from other movies you might want to go see. Yeah. I mean, like it, it really all stems from my childhood. I've kind of went through like phases, you know, like being a kid, it was like, I started off with like Power Rangers was my thing and I quickly evolved into Marvel and you know the animated stuff was a huge thing for me as a kid like the animated Spider-Man series and and everything like that and then and then like growing up there was just you know I, I think when when we talk about Marvel movies now it's you know if you're talking to your everyday movie goer most people as, assume you're talking about the MCU and think that is all, you know, one big thing. Um, for me, you know, it, it all kind of started with my first experience watching Spider-Man in 2002, I believe it yep. was, or 2001, 2002. Um, and I remember just being a kid, being so excited for that film and, and uh, waiting in the longest line of all time, I swear, to go see that film. Um, and, yeah, I don't, I mean, like... My perspective is a little bit different. Uh, I do love film, and you know, I love I love things like you know, Drive, Nightcrawler, and like some classics like you know, uh, Goodfellas, and yeah. and we're probably going to talk about Scorsese more, Scorsese, in, in a little bit. But you know, I love a lot of his films too. Um, so there is kind of like a little bit of a balance for me, um, but. I understand, like, I have an extreme bias towards these films, too. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it all stems from me being a kid loving the comics. And, and finally, as an adult, unfortunately, it took so long, we get these grand epic films that I get to go experience and kind of relive my childhood in a different way. So, Yeah, I think from my perspective, I I mean, Marvel movies were coming out long before I was into filmmaking or you know, anything mm-hmm. like that. I, I remember Incredible Hulk came out with Edward Norton and, yeah. you know, I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Of course, now you watch it back and you're like, woo, this did not age great. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, movies like that and, you know, like the Lou Ferrigno Incredible Hulk, mm-hmm. um, you know, Brandon Routh as Superman in 2006, uh, you know, movies like that were coming out. And yeah. I, I always kind of thought that they were like their own thing. Yeah. And, um, I think there is a little bit of a difference between kind of like our cons- more consumable superhero films that Marvel kind of fits into. Yep. And then our more, um, you know, like I talked about with Seth a couple episodes ago, like the citizen Kane's the apocalypse now, yeah. uh, 2001, a space odyssey. Like I think those movies are all made for a different audience and for a different reason and meant to kind of say different things. Absolutely. And um, I think that's one thing where we can kind of all come together on this, the film people, the Marvel people. Like, the bottom line is, I think we all want to enjoy movies. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think movies have always been made for enjoyment. 
and people get their enjoyment out of a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. But I think everybody could say, you know, Marvel movies are very consumer friendly. Like, yes, they're not going to give you a storyline that makes you really think like it's not going to bend your mind beyond like understanding like a, you know, I think of Interstellar where it was like, I literally had to sit on the couch for 30 minutes after the film to just kind of be like understanding what it was sure. that I had just seen. Um, and they're, they're, they've kind of edged more towards like they're funny, they're, you know, wholesome, they're um, intense, they're action rich. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of layers to them, even though it seems at times like they can, like an Ant-Man where it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Like it's it's okay. Like I I don't know what to really do with this other than I enjoyed it in the theater and leave it at that. And sure. you know I think Marvel movies don't necessarily need to be parsed into something that they're not. Yeah, I mean I 100% agree with what you're saying. Like I said, you know, film is a huge thing for me. So whenever I'm talking to someone who's more of like a a film buff or a film like purist, I understand where they're coming from when they. I hate that they trash on Marvel films and, you know, are always trying to belittle them in in order to elevate the things that they love. They both, you know, should be appreciated by their prospective audiences. Um, But um, but I do understand critiques and people wanting Mm -hmm. to, in a way, separate your Marvel films from, you know, let's say your Oscar nominated films, Um, you know. Uh, films that are meant to, um, like you said, kind of make you think a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, like you're you're talking about, you know, really MCU films are kind of constantly pumping out three movies a year. That right, you know, you know, I love those films to death, but I do understand like there is a formula behind those films. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's sometimes very rare that they're very self-contained films are always looking at the bigger picture. Right. Um, which it does end up paying off for the most part when you get those crossover films. Um, but you know, I do appreciate the, as I get older, I guess I appreciate more of like the self-contained stories, um, or something like something like a Logan, which is a Marvel film. Um, and it's like an Oscar nominated, uh, screenplay maybe no it was it was nominated for something um but very different i want to say adapted i, I want to say it was adapted screenplay yeah sure uh, yeah because mangled i i think he t- it was adapted from the comic book and so i think it got i think it got adapted long story short <laughs> yeah i think that's what it was but you know it's it's tough because i feel like i'm kind of caught in the middle when it comes to these discussions where i'm like I understand people's criticisms toward Marvel films these days at the same time. I'm like, but I still love them. Like right. I love them. I'll always defend them um, because even though they're not, you know, sometimes they are, are, there is a lot of depth to the characters. A lot of times mm-hmm. there's actually some depth, um, but even though they're not like mind bending and sit there and make you think, um, or they're not films that you can really, you really have to like overanalyze or analyze at all. You kind of like, you can, you can follow along with those films pretty easily Right. Um, they still find a way to pull some sort of emotion out of me and, and give me some sort of attachment to the characters. Now you could say, I'm not sure if that's, you know, a product of the script or just my attachment to the characters from my childhood. Right. You know, that's, that's a conversation or something that I could think about, but yeah, I mean, like 
my overall point is that I understand, you know, the general, I understand why film purists may be critical of the films. Um, but I, I do think like I kind of am able to look at it from like a balanced perspective. Yeah. I think, I think people like the film purists, like the purest purists will say a Marvel film is not on the level of like a Manchester by the sea or a nightcrawler in terms of just like film language and, uh, just the de- the depth of tone and and character study and things like that they're not on sure. that level so they should not be garnering such huge audiences and making such massive amounts of money at the box office so they're like you know why can't we have these movies that are objectively or subjectively better mm-hmm. you know why can't they be accruing the same audiences that a marvel film would and i think you just kind of have to know that each film has its place mm-hmm. and uh you know a studio is not going to go out and be like let's make nightcrawler sure you know like it's it's a concept it's an art um piece and more often than not those come from the you know individual and sure. and then they're brought before other people to kind of like make it happen but ideas like that don't just come out of you know kevin feige or you know like the established uh studios you know even disney has had trouble with kind of like trying to freshen up even in one-off movies with star wars like a rogue one and solo where it's like there's it's a still a formulaic kind of thing and and they were done with varying levels of success but i think what marvel has done is it's completely changed the landscape of Hollywood and filmmaking mm-hmm. because they do make consistently such massive amounts of money, but it kind of like chips into the collective pot where, you know, like before a franchise was a trilogy, like a Lord of the Rings and sure. a Hobbit kind of thing. And that was from like years and years of building fandom for the Lord of the Rings before the movies were even made. So it was not like contrived out of the blue. Sure. Um, you think of like Terminator where that trilogy was, and, and even still like more than that, they did Terminator Salvation and then turn the Genesis and all those movies that were hot garbage. And the new one that just came out that I don't even know, but I haven't seen, I haven't seen like the last three of those movies. Yeah. But like yeah. <laughs> I know they're not going to be the originals so why bother, yeah. but a movie, uh, a series like that with James Cameron, where it's like, that was more contrived, and that was the franchise before there were um, an MCU. Sure. But there's never been an expanded universe. Like, the only thing I can compare it to is there's an author in fantasy right now who, um, his name is Brandon Sanderson, and he's written, he might be one of the most prolific authors living. He writes an obscene amount every year, but... He has written several series that all take place in like a larger universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got a name and it's got a massive following. And it's like the only thing I can ever think of that's like on the level of an MCU where we have so many entries into the same world. Yeah. And um, they're all cohabitating, but they're separate. Um, and it truly is a unicorn in that they were able to go from. Iron Man in 2008 through uh, Endgame and have a a linear story that 
weaves itself through all of these individual, like, what is it, 23, 26 movies that they made in that, like, block? I think it's or, 23. Or 23? Yeah. So th- yeah. that's, like, completely unheard of before now. And so now that that has been done, you got to think that more of those similar ideas are going to be like, that's going to be copied. And I don't know exactly how that's going to be copied. I don't know in what way that they're going to be like, okay, maybe it's not superhero movies. Maybe it's another franchise of some kind that they're going to adapt, that a studio is going to adapt and say, okay, we're going to make a massive universe. Maybe it's a Warner brothers in five years goes, okay, bear with me, but we're going to make a 15 film franchise on blank and it will only have been able to happen because Marvel. Um, yeah. And so I, I don't know if that changes permanently how, uh, the filmmaking industry goes about creating its franchises, but I think it at least plays a part and it shows it's kind of like the, the, the trailblazer that says this can be done you know, and the the question is really kind of what comes next. I think like, um, I think you're kind of starting to see small bits of that starting in, in entertainment right now. Um, I mean, you look at, this is, <laughs> this is a funny example, but you look at something like Fast and the Furious. Right. And they're already starting kind of like spinoff films that exist, you know, with this universe, but with other characters and, you know, there, I'm not necessarily against the idea of that because, like, I've been advocating for like, I want a universe based on like John Wick's universe. Like, that would I be want so cool. I want spinoff films for that. You know, within that yeah. world, maybe John Wick's not in it at all. But you know, I would love to see more of that. Like, I'd like to see a connected universe with something like that. You know, so I'm not yeah. necessarily against that happening, but I do see these like studios trying to do things like this cough cough wb dc um (laughs) and really dropping the ball on it and you know when you said like the mcu is like a unicorn it truly is you Mm -hmm. you you cannot i mean you we can't even have this conversation without talking about kevin feige because he's the mastermind of this whole thing you know yeah people would 10, 10 to 12 years ago, the idea of this connected universe that Kevin Feige wanted was just too bizarre and, you know, unobtainable. Mm-hmm. And he had a vision for it and he was able to do it and sustain it for, you know, over a decade. Um, right. You know, with some lots of hits, a few misses in there. But, you but know, they did one thing extremely well is they built up a base with pillars of characters that everybody was going to pull for. So Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. Um, I, I guess we can just leave it at that, but like Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. And I guess you could throw Hulk in there as well. Cause he was yeah, kind of Hulk's there from the a beginning bit a there. little bit, but those three, especially I would say it really boils down to Iron Man and Captain America are two characters that from the very beginning, you know, we were all as a collective that was watching these movies, we were all going to pull for those characters and we were going to mm-hmm. watch everything that they, because those initial movies were so good. It was like, we got hooked. So Iron Man was so, I, it was just Robert Downey Jr. Like, let's be honest. Oh yes. He was so charismatic and he just embodied that. It was like the, the part that he was born to play. 
Absolutely. It was so much him. And, and he had been kind of like on a, his career was a roller coaster before that point. Mm -hmm. He'd had some issues with substance abuse, but you know, he was a great actor and it was just kind of like, it hadn't quite all, like all the dots hadn't quite been dotted. Absolutely. And then he plays Iron Man. He plays Tony Stark and it's all of a sudden the stars align and it's, oh my God, he is Tony Stark. And I watched... I watched like a little bit of like a, a mini documentary of like the making of Iron Man. And I, think I watched that same one. It was yeah, so and, good. And when they're like all talk, like John Favreau and, and RDJ are like talking and they're discussing lines and stuff. And you're watching, you're watching that and you're like, holy crap, they have no idea what they're making right now. Mm-hmm. Like they have no idea what this is about to come. They're focused right. on the character. And, you know, this is, this is what I hope. Marvel continues to do and I feel like they might be going away from this but when they started the MCU it was very like character driven like yeah developing really solid arcs start to finish and yep you know the like I I have to say this first those Marvel characters that started the MCU those are those are pretty much like B-list Marvel characters they're not mm-hmm. your Spider-Man's Fantastic Four's X-Men like Marvel didn't own those characters so they couldn't do that. So they started with B-list characters and they found a way to make people care about them. Because like yep. Captain America was kind of a corny character for a while. And, and they played um, into it in that first movie too. Exactly. Like they really embraced it. And but made they it made Steve different. such a lovable character and someone you can root for. Yeah. I I go back to the first Avenger, Captain America, the first Avenger. And there's a few, there's a few moments in there that kind of like tug at the heartstrings for me. There's one yeah. where... Um, when before Steve has his like transition to you know the super soldier, he's uh, having like a small meeting with the doctor, mm-hmm. and he's like nervous about it. And uh, Steve kind of asks like, "Why, why me? You know, um, why do this to me?" And um, the doctor's like, "You have a good heart. Like mm-hmm. you're the reason we chose you." He's like, "You know, basically your your whole life and body is about to change, and you're gonna become this super soldier." but don't change what's inside of you. Like keep that. And I do kind of see like Marvel kind of moving away from that and yeah. being more focused on comedy and the spectacle of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wish it would go back to that. One of my favorite all time, like uh, early Marvel day moments is when um, uh, it's in the first Avenger where uh, the captain like throws a fake grenade on the ground and all the soldiers go running, and then Steve, and Steve just jumps, jumps on it. On it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like he's not—he's not a super soldier, nothing. He's just a scrawny kid. Yeah, and he jumps on that, and he's like, "Everybody, run!" You know, those are like really key character moments, and that's what kind of like launched the MCU into what it was. Is they made people fall in love with these characters, and then you look at something like Captain Marvel, and I'm like, it felt like they kind of rushed yeah. that film and wanted to squeeze that film in before Endgame happened, so that she appeared in Endgame. Instead of establishing like a really like her arc is okay, um, but like you can really make somebody fall in love with that character, and it's still made over a billion dollars, and that kind of goes Marvel to like made over a billion dollars. It made over a billion dollars, and oh my gosh, I think it made more than the first two Ant Man movies combined. But I mean, that's not surprising. But. Yeah, I think it made like one point <laughs> two. Yeah, it made like one point two or. Or 1.3 billion dollars but that just goes to show like even though that movie is like pretty mediocre and everyone that i talk to is kind of like eh on it yeah um 
it still made that money. And I think a large part of it had to do with it being sandwiched in between uh, Infinity War and Endgame. And people were like, Because oh. I think people thought it was necessary to the larger story. Exactly. And that sort what... of was. And they felt obligated to go see it because they're like, okay, if I don't see this, I'm going to miss something. And it was not like they wanted Captain Marvel. They wanted Endgame, but they just wanted to be filled they, in on everything. Exactly. In they, they sandwiched that movie in between those. They they yeah. give you a huge cliffhanger in Infinity War, followed by the Captain Marvel. Um, so we're just looking for spoilers at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You get the Captain Marvel post-credits scene where he pages us sam jackson pages her yep and then you're like oh my god like i have to figure out how this fits into this where's she been before endgame happens and stuff like that um and that's you know that kind of really gets us into like the main topic of the show and it's how how marvel's really changed the movie going experience where you have a movie that's just okay um, making over a billion dollars because of this grand, you know, project that they're working on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's interesting the way that it's on a level. It's on a level with Star Wars where if you slap a Star Wars logo logo on something, it's gonna make a billion. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, I think of, I think the equivalent to Captain Marvel is like Solo, and Solo I think is a better film, but. I yeah. think a lot of people would be like, yeah, I mean, it was, it's not memorable. And so therefore it's, yeah, whatever. And it Absolutely. made, you know, over, I think it also made over a billion dollars and it had all kinds of issues with like directors and, and just kind of dysfunction. They rolled it out, slapped a Star Wars logo on it, and it was instantly going to make tons and tons of money. Sure. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot more of that going forward where uh, there's a, like a gold rush per se of new stories. And you see this a lot with fantasy stories. So like Game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. uh, like a Westworld is kind of in that vein where, and the Witcher where there is a need for great stories now that can be, you know, lengthened to last eight seasons for a TV show or take up 10 movies in a, in a film franchise. Sure. Um, We're seeing a gold rush for it now. And the reason why I say fantasy is because like the trope about fantasy stories is fantasy authors are going to write 15 books. Like I think of the wheel of time. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's a 14, is it 14? I think it's a 14 book, um, series and each book is over 600 pages. So they're all massive and it has an insane following in like a fan, the fantasy community, something like that could be taken and they're making a show on prime about it with like a huge budget and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be something people are hearing rumblings of as like the next game of Thrones. That kind of thing is kind of going to be the norm in terms of our entertainment because we want huge scope stories that we can just kind of dive into for years and years and years and years. And it's kind of, it's exciting, but it's also a little bit, not because I know mm-hmm. that it supersedes the, you know, the indie film or the auteur film, original or the war film. Yeah. It movies. kind of is like, and we all know this studios want to make money and anybody who's going to put their name on a film project is going to be like, we want to make money. And yep. as much as I love Robert Eggers or David Lowry directors that are making really awesome, small indie projects, 
they're not the future necessarily of filmmaking, which is sure. sad to me on in one hand, but on the other, it's really exciting because I know really awesome stories are coming. It's just like it's Marvel helped build up the steam for those things to happen for, you know, good, bad or indifferent. One thing that I'll give Marvel credit for and Kevin Feige credit for is that if you look at the people that they bring in to direct these films, most of them are not accustomed to doing huge things. Yeah. Um, except for, you know, they they kind of like give these small indie directors their big break or their, their moment to shine. Because you look at, even though I, like we talked about, didn't love Captain Marvel, but the directors that they got... Um, which is Ryan Fleck and Anna Bowden. They really only did one film. It's called yep. Half Nelson with Ryan Gosling. And yep. that was a great film. It's just a small, like, indie film. Um, and then you have, you know, James Gunn, who did, like, kind of B-level horror films. Mm-hmm. And Ryan Coogler, he, his big break was really Creed. But before it that, Creed. it was like, yeah, it was like Fruitvale Station before that. Yeah. Um, and then you have the Russos, who were really only doing tv shows yeah and commercials um so i do give them credit for that to kind of like going out and finding these people who do know how to tell stories Mm -hmm. um and that's one thing kevin feige has said he's like he doesn't care he doesn't care where what your background is if you know how to tell a story we want you to be a part of this right um but it all boils they did one thing they did was like if you're coming in like we want your talent we want everything you're gonna bring to you know the project but yeah we're gonna hand you the story and make sure it fits within this universe yeah and yeah it's just like and make sure there's like this little easter egg that connects to that film and right make sure you know all these all these sort of things yeah i mean like i 100 percent agree with you um the best stories that have come out of marvel are the ones that are more self-contained yeah um and a lot of the older stuff because i mean there's there's really not like recently there hasn't been a marvel film that like i think the winter soldier was the last film where i was like holy crap i'm like this is a really great story a really great character development um or character arc for steve rogers i think i might have called steve rogers steve trevor earlier if i did (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) now that i think about it because i almost called him steve trevor just a second ago um yeah that that was the last that's the last time where i felt like this is this is like dark knight level for me not quite because like dark knight is obviously like one of the most iconic films not even just comic book movies um but that that was like for me that was like Marvel's Dark Knight, where it was like a serious tone and like you can get people into this film that aren't necessarily comic book fans. Like yeah. you know, somebody like my dad who's kinda like, nah, I don't really want to watch a comic book movie. He can watch that and it's like this spy thriller and he can really get invested in that story. Right. Um so I'd love to see more of that in the future, but Yeah, one thing I would hear from people who weren't into Marvel movies, and I'm thinking of one of my friends specifically was the line he would always throw at us when we were like, you know, we'd get together as a group of friends in college and we would go to Chili's and then we would go to the theater whenever, yeah. like, like when Joker came out, we did that. When um, Black Panther came out, we did that. Um, we'd all get together and he never would go and he would always be like, it's because I don't, like, they're not real. They're not real yeah. life. And so I can't get into it. Mm-hmm. And um, that kind of segues us into an, another thing I want to touch on is, you know, there's a quote from 
you know, Martin Scorsese, and I'll have to pull up the exact quote, but the essence of it is that Marvel films are not like film. Sure. Um, just, I know I talked to Grayson when that quote came out, I talked to Grayson at length about what that meant Yeah. and, you know, kind of like the ramifications of that. But like, what do you think he means one and then two, how do you think that kind of like represents the film community's thoughts about Marvel movies? Yeah. I mean, like that was like such a controversial take when that happened because I'm, I follow so many like film Twitter people yeah, and it was just nonstop debate and it seemed like it went on for weeks and weeks. Um, I, I don't know. Like I love, I think everybody should have their opinion, you know, and I love Martin Scorsese. He's a legend to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, I, I think he means what he, what he, exactly what he said. It's, it's a spectacle like yeah. those films. However, I'm kind of like, how many movies have you actually watched by Marvel Martin? You know, I'm kind of like, you kind of got to watch some of these before you say things like that. In my opinion, um, critiquing something without actually, you know, watching it. It's a little bit weird to me, but I, I mean, I get what he's saying. I think he has a right to express his opinion. Um, and the films that he makes are like film films. Right. Um, so like when he says that, it carries I don't some necessarily, weight. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree completely, but I also get what he's saying. Like, yeah. One um, thing he said in his quote that I found really interesting was that he said that uh, Marvel movies kind of have a lack of risk. And I think that's sure. something that I think he's right there. Mm-hmm. That generally speaking, Endgame aside, or not Endgame, uh, Infinity War aside, because I think that was a massive risk. Sure. Um, that aside, they're very formulaic. Um, they've got a, I I think you really could, if you were to plot out the beats for every Marvel film, Mm -hmm. they're all some variation of the same thing. Sure. And it's, it's kind of like a hero's journey where you got like the first film is always the same thing. It is, you know, the hero finds out they're a hero, rejects it, and then embraces it gets a new suit and kicks bad guys butts like that is the first film for all of them sure um and then as they go on that's where you really get to see the metal of these filmmakers because you know even going back to the same raimi spider-man movies and like amazing spider-man by mark webb uh those films were the exact same thing mm-hmm. um it's kind of like the formula to a first you know one-off superhero film sure and even still with you know, movies recently like Joker, it's the exact same thing. It is. Uh, and if you were just flip it and say villain instead of hero, you got, right. you know, villain doesn't realize he's villain. You know, he realizes it, rejects it, embraces it, gets a new suit and goes off and does villain things. Sure. Um, so there's a formula there, but what Scorsese's saying is because there's a formula, there's no, uh, jumping out of the box, finding a new way to tell the story and I think there's something there, but I also think to an extent he's wrong because the the first initial set of Marvel films gave us Winter Soldier, Civil War, and Infinity War, mm-hmm. which Winter Soldier is not much of a risk, I think. I think it's just a story well told. 
Sure. The two risks were for me Civil War and Infinity War. Yep. And Civil War was based on a comic. And so they already had like the story to pull from, but they did tweak it a little bit to kind of fit current scenario. Yeah. Um, but the result of that was a fracture in uh, the Avengers. Yep. And while that is necessary to a larger arc for an individual film, it's a little bit of a risk because what you have to do in order to execute it is you need to take your characters through a crucible, but the crucible is each other mm -hmm. and it's not an outside force. So how do you create tension within the group, but also leave it open to where they could get back together later because we know they're going to have to deal with Thanos because that's already yep. been built up previously. So, you know, how do you create that tension and, um, you know, have an actual like climax and falling action with that tension sure. that it's like nothing can ever be the same, but, it, um, you know, things have to change, but they still have to come back together later. Sure. Um, and then Infinity War, I mean, you want to talk about risks, like, and we knew it was going to get wrapped up, but a lot of um a lot of opinions coming out of the theater after that movie came out was like, that sucked. Like they took away all my favorite characters. Sure. Everybody's yeah. gone and I don't know if they're coming back. And that truly was Marvel saying, trust us, we're going to work it out. But right. in the moment for about a year, everybody was like, oh no, Infinity War sucks, dude. Like yeah, uh, everybody just kind of melted and there was memes about it. Like Spider-Man freaking melted and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like Chris Pratt melted and, yeah. And who's left? It's it was Iron Man and and Black Panther. Like it's Black like Panther had just came out, yeah. and it was such a social justice like icon film, and sure. there was so much in society attached to it, and it was just like a whole movement for people of color. And then Black Panther's freaking gone, and we yeah. don't know if he's coming back. So you know, you want to talk about risks? Like that's huge in terms of will our audience buy into the idea that we're going to work it out. Sure. It's a different risk than I think what Scorsese's talking about, because I think he's talking about like a taxi driver. That is mm -hmm. a huge risk of a film. That's like, are you even going to stick with me through this whole thing? Are you going to, you know, uh, stick it out with this character? And it's, it's different, but it's kind of the same thing. Like they did take risks. They just did it differently than perhaps the film community would have wanted. It's, it's tough. I, I think like, you know, you, you talking about Civil War made me realize how much of a risk that really was because you're really, you're, the fracture that you spoke of was, it was the reason that the Avengers ended up losing to Thanos the first go around. Mm -hmm. And you, I mean, like this was really well set up in Age of Ultron, but um, there's like a moment, there's, you always, you always saw this like different in like differences in like you saw it ideas. from the very first a very but, first avengers movie exactly between between tony and steve they had you know different ideas they had this they had the same like wants and desires like they have the same outcome like they want the same thing but they have different ways of getting there mm -hmm. and that's what kind of developed that fracture but you look at something like a moment between uh, in age of ultron where uh steve and tony are kind of like arguing and there's a moment where you know Tony's like, I wanted a, a suit of armor around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, obviously, like, Steve is mad about Ultron and, like, this is a disaster. 
And, um, and then Tony's going to be, he's kind of like, I'm kind of like paraphrasing or coming up with my own dialogue, but he's kind of like, what are we going to do? Like when, you know, the threat from space comes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, how are we going to handle that? And Steve's like together. And then, um, Tony's like, we'll lose. And then Steve's like, we'll do that together too. Yeah. And that never happened. They never got a chance to lose together because of that fracture, which is really well set up um, along, you know, those few movies. Um, so there def- definitely is a risk. Infinity War, I kind of like this is where I'll disagree with you a little bit, because I think that for general audiences, that was a risk. And mm-hmm. general audience make up the majority of the money that Marvel gets from movies. Um, so I guess that is a risk. But, you know, someone like me, Grayson, and you probably you're you knew that oh they're gonna come back you know yeah there's a reason they left like the main characters who have been around for 10 years alive and then they took away all the new characters You're it like, felt oh, like these a are gonna purge. be the new ones it felt like a purge of all the new heroes and they were like yeah. we're gonna take it back to the basics yep and you know i knew that it was gonna get wrapped up but in the moment i'm not gonna lie i was a little frustrated and just kind of confused and you know what's gonna happen with all these characters that we've seen in multiple films, like how are you going to fix this? And, and it not be totally contrived and stupid. Yeah. That was the big thing. It was, how are you going to do this without just having like some crazy deus ex machina where it's like (laughs) all of a sudden magic, you know, and everybody's back. Like I didn't want that. They, they put them, they backed themselves into a corner and they had to get out of it. And I think ultimately they did all right. Russo um, said, like, it's funny that you say that, but the Russos <clears throat> have said they like writing themselves into a corner because yeah. it really forces them to be good, more creative. Good writers a lot of times will just say um, they put a character in the worst situation possible and figure out a way out of it. And that's how yeah. you get great tension and conflict. And that's how you have great stories. <clears throat> and, you know, we've heard that from like John Grisham, who's written a bunch of, you know, mystery novels and. Uh, Stephen King is the exact mm-hmm. same way. Uh, great storytellers find a way to get their characters out of bad situations in sure. a way that keeps you engaged. That's yeah. the key because a bad writer will be like inventing some stupid way to get their character out of something and it just immediately pulls you out of the story and you're like, nah, no, I'm good. That was dumb. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah. going, but kind of like going back to Scorsese, I guess. It's one of those things where I don't get like really all that upset about other people's opinions anyways. Um, so I was just like, meh. I mean, like, what does it matter that he like thinks that these yeah. movies are like theme park rides? Like, who cares? I'm like, yeah, it really is not going to affect like because Scorsese said that people aren't going to all of a sudden start being like, no, oh, you know what? He's right. I'm going to stop going to these movies. You know, it's just validating the opinions of the of other people. That's all it's really doing. Um, yeah. But I mean, it it's like I love and respect him, and then I love his films. So I mean, like I'm not even mad at all. Um, yeah, that's so just my opinion. We've said Marvel movies kind of have their place a little bit. Yeah. Um, where I think you have to understand that they're separate from like film, just kind of like the quote unquote gray area that is sure. film. Um, but I really think that the way these stories are going to trend is towards that filmic cinematic um, auteur lens of telling the story. Mm -hmm. We saw that with Joker where um, we've already got a film and a character 
we've got a character beforehand that just was like mainstream audiences and it was the dark knight which was well received by everyone but even before that it was like this goofy like you know suicide squad that character was just yeah and and jack nicholson for as iconic as he was was just flat in terms of a a character that would fit in an auteur movie and then we have joaquin phoenix Mm -hmm. and um that whole crew surrounding that project and it was very different it was very different tone and it got me thinking could marvel ever do that and will they ever try to do that that may be one thing they may may never try to do because they're like we know what we are we're never going to try and change it yeah but i think if they would try it that would be really interesting and i think they did a little bit with logan but even then it was not like the the big umbrella marvel it was james mangold and hugh jackman really pushing for that one to happen yeah i don't know maybe maybe it could be something that would happen but could a marvel film get to the point where it's being tossed around for best picture is that around the corner is that way far i mean Black Panther was already Best Picture nominated. That was which stupid, I, though. Exactly, <laughs> that yeah. That was I'm absolutely like, dumb. Absolutely disagree with that, even though Black Panther, I think I have it like some, it's at least in my top five favorite MCU films. Maybe it was like top three. We did a ranking at some point, but um, yeah, I love that film. That definitely didn't deserve to be Best Picture. I don't see like, I don't see at least the MCU's version of Marvel Yeah, kind of going in that direction. Um <sighs> It's which it kind of like saddens me because I feel like you know it would be cool if the MCU really found a way to have films that kind of had different tones, yeah. Um, and didn't necessarily like I mean, I, I, I like I want to quickly go back to like Doctor Strange, and I know this is gonna sound like out of left field, but Doctor Strange was a film that like went through reshoots because of the script writing it didn't have enough comedy so they hired somebody to come in and and put jokes into the script and i look at dr strange and like that was kind of like one of the mcu's like darker stories where you Mm kind of like got annoyed at the hero because he was such an a-hole yep um and you i think he has like one of the most underrated arcs in the mcu but there's like times where it kind of takes you out of that story because he's like telling beyonce jokes and it's like you're like, wow, they really had to find a way to put a punchline in this. Um, and that's when I like when we get into this conversation of about like, will they try to get into like the more like art housey filmmaking for a superhero? It I find it hard to I it's hard to see them doing something like that. And they're making billions of dollars, you know. Yeah. Let's say they're pumping out three MCU movies and they're all making a bill a billion dollars. They're making three billion dollars off these films. Um, so it's kind of like if it ain't broke, don't, don't fix, fix it. it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, while I would love for that kind of take to be done for a Marvel movie, mm-hmm. it wouldn't fit unless we had a character that was just so polarizing, like a Joker, that you could really do a character study. Because a lot of auteur films, art house films, are um, kind of like examinations of small stories, like small sure. in scope. Yeah. And, you know, like I think of A Ghost Story or The Lighthouse, which are movies about, you know, The Lighthouse is two characters in a lighthouse going insane. Yeah. And A Ghost Story is about 
a, like the, the history of a house. Sure. Um, those kind of things, as much as I would love for that kind of spin to be put on a Marvel film, Marvel films are huge. Like they're taking place in Uzbekistan and New York and Turkey and, sure. you know, all over the place with buildings getting crushed and, you know, it it's not like they're very different. And as much as I would like for a little bit of the art house approach to filmmaking brought into Marvel, mm-hmm. that might be all I could hope for. Like, just give me a little bit more character moments, less like you, like with Doctor Strange. Like those jokes, I mean, I guess they were funny, but do they add to the character? Do they add anything to the story? Do they tell me more about the world we're in? No, it's there to appease audiences. No. And at that point, exactly. I'm like, I, I know this is about money and studios will always want their money. And I get yeah. that. And that's just like a fact of life for good, better or worse. But, you know, I, I as, as somebody who really enjoys film language, like I want something that is contributing to the character, the story, the, the yeah. world. And, and when those things aren't, doing that when aspects of the story aren't doing that i'm like i start to tune out a little bit even yep. though i might be laughing at it like there's some moments in marvel movies that have really made me laugh hard but yeah. then i thought about it for a second i was like that was dumb like yeah. <laughs> there was nothing it just didn't there. really fit in with what you yeah. know it, like the doctor strange thing i mean like the dude was cold he was a jerk to his like not really girlfriend but the guy the girl who had his back you know yeah. through you know his surgery and like rehabilitation constantly was there by him side or by her by his side. And then you have him like just throwing around jokes all of a sudden when he did yeah. not from the start of the movie, wasn't into that. And you can tell that it was just like written in there really quickly. Um, but I mean, like you're talking, see like you're with that about, like, film with Dr. Strange, they could have taken like a James Wan horror movie take on it. Like yeah, I mean, you got a horror director to make the film, right? And you have, you had a horror director for the second one, which was supposed to be Kevin Feige's backtracked on this. I, th- I actually, I think it was Scott Derrickson who said that Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness was going to be the first like MCU horror film. Yep, I remember and that coming then, out. And like a month after happened. that, he got fired from the project. Yep. So obviously there was like a, a difference between like yep. what they wanted for that. Um which is super disappointing, but I'm happy Sam Raimi's coming on to do it too. Another horror director. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like if you look at like characters that could, you could pull something off, um, like a Joker with in the, in the MC, I think like Punisher is a good one in, in Daredevil, but at the same time, we already got really great takes on those. Right. I don't for, know how you're going to, Netflix. Yeah. I don't know how you're going to up John Bernthal as Punisher. You like, cannot. That was, he was so good. It was kind of like a, a Tony Stark RDJ thing where it was, John Bernthal is that character. Like he, absolutely everything he's played before that it's dude, he comes on and he's Punisher. Like in daredevil, when uh, John Bernthal comes in as Punisher, I was like, I'm more interested in John Bernthal yeah. than I am. Charlie Cox. Daredevil. Like yeah. I care so much more about Punisher than I do daredevil right now. Yeah. And daredevil you, was awesome. The best, the best like storytelling is when you feel conflicted about a character and like you, you, want to find a reason to root for them but you're like oh why are you making this decision you right. know but and not like, like uncut gems where he keeps making stupid decisions and you're like dude, you're why like, <laughs> i'm like dude you deserve to just like you deserve right like i'm not yeah. even gonna spoil it but you deserve what's coming to you yeah like you don't <laughs> exactly. want that but you do want characters to make 
mistakes but you want them to rebound from them <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and like punisher was one of those where you're just like god i'm like i want you to do all these things but at the same time i want you to be a good dude right and you have like the character of karen page trying to kind of like um get through to him yeah um and she sees the good in him it's just like a, a character that has a lot of conflict where he's like he was never a bad guy he served his country yeah you know he just had everything taken away from him and, and it turned him into a bit of a monster even though he was out there trying to like take out bad guys yeah um you know obviously it just wasn't the right direction but i, th- I think that's a character that would fit for something like joker mm-hmm. but it just can't happen under the mcu umbrella so yeah i think it's They've set a precedent for what Marvel movies are going to be. And, you know, whether you like that precedent or not, like they're going to continue to make more Marvel movies. And as much as I have enjoyed them thus far, I think I'm starting to get on the boat where it's like it's a little bit much at this point. But I think that's a challenge that is going to be interesting to see how they, you know, take it on because there is fatigue. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely fatigue as someone who's a massive comic book movie fan. I feel that way sometimes. And it's, it is nice that there's a bit of a break right now because of COVID. Yeah. Um, where it doesn't feel like you're every two months getting an MCU film. Yeah. Um, but you know what I, you know what I kind of like stress to people who feel that sort of fatigue is like, go kind of like branch out there and go, you know, go experience different stories. Like you can go on Netflix right now and find an hour and a half long film. That's like a really good indie film. Yep. And you can kind of like cleanse your palate for lack of better terms and experience different stories. I mean, uncut gem is just like one of the most like, you know, out there films and so different fast paced, constant tension. So angsty. Yeah, experience different things is what I would say because it makes you appreciate those MCU films when you do go see it after three months yeah. of not seeing one. Um, so that's just kind of like what I would what I would tell people. And for the people who don't like MCU films, you don't have to like them. You right. know, keep doing your thing. Enjoy what you enjoy. I do wish that there was more of. I wish that these smaller films got a bigger audience. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I'm like, like what you like, you know. Right. Um, I think the biggest challenge going forward is. As, and fatigue is there, and that's really tough to handle. Yeah. But one thing they don't have now that they had when they started this whole thing is they don't have those tentpole characters that are going to carry you through because all Absolutely. those characters are gone. And, um, you know, personally, I'm not invested in any of the new era of Marvel characters. Like, I don't care anything about Captain Marvel as much as I love Black yeah. Widow. After this Black Widow movie, I might be checked out on her. Um, you know, there's just not much left other than Taika Waititi's next, uh, Thor movie. That one all in for, but other than that, like, and, and that's Thor, like that's one of the original tent poles. Are they going to build up new characters that I'm going to care about? Or is it just going to be like more just a movie a year? And, and that's, I'll tell you what's happening right now. Um, I'm starting to see like a trend of them essentially, finding a way to bring back the same characters but not bring them back so you have Mm -hmm. the you have the hawkeye kate bishop thing yeah and then you have um you have what is the so you'll have like the the next the next captain america and sam wilson so you have like these characters that have been 
been built up, but they're kind of like redoing the characters with different people. You're going to have the second version of Black Widow, which is going to be Black Widow's sister because Florence Pugh is signed on for multiple films to take over that mantle. So you're going to see that. You're going to see Thor kind of phase out eventually, and you're going to have yep. Jane Foster take over that mantle, and then you're going to have you know just the same sort of character. I wouldn't be surprised because like Ironheart is like Ironheart is like the girl version of Iron Man. I wouldn't be surprised if they try to do something like that in the future. Um, Jeez. When, yeah, I mean, but at the same time, like you, you have to remember, like it, Marvel did, Marvel did acquire like a lot of assets with the Fantastic Four, which is like that's an iconic group of characters. You have the yep. X Men; they're going to recast that and, they've and been redo totally X-Men. flubbed over and over and over again. Fantastic Four. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like uh, there's not a high bar there. Somebody please just make a good Fantastic Four yes. film. Um, and then they have Blade, which I'm excited for. I mean, you got Mahershala Ali coming in for that really um yeah so blade's gonna be cool that comes out in like two or three years um so there there is that but they're definitely like redoing the same characters yeah um just with different characters i'll be honest if they were to go completely out of left field like like what they're doing with eternals where they're bringing in completely new characters yes something like that is going to be more interesting to me because i really want them to build characters from the ground up like they did before and yep I think what the studio has to recognize, maybe they haven't, or maybe they have already done this, but they've got to invest the time into those characters mm-hmm. in individual films for us to care about them and then in turn go pay money to see them. Yep. So it's almost like you've got a football team that has aging stars and they're all phasing out and retiring. Now they've got to invest draft capital in new players. They've got to... Patriots. Right. Like <laughs> they've got to figure out a way to reconstitute the team yeah. and put together a new squad for the next five, 10 years. And that takes a year or two. Like in football, that takes a couple of years with, a, you know, movies like this, it's going to take like four or five. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be a dead period for a few years where it's like, we're probably going to have a couple of clunkers. We might have one or two like diamonds in the rough. Um, sure. But until we get new characters we care about, it's gonna gonna it's gonna be stale, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. I agree. I mean, I agree completely. It's it's kind of exciting, but it's also like there's a bit of nervousness when it comes to something like the Eternals. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they still like they're still holding on to Spider Man for a little bit longer, um, which I'm not a huge fan of the MCU Spider Man, but a lot of people love him. He's an iconic character. They'll Andrew have Garfield him. Andrew Garfield is the best Spider Man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. I mean, I, like I'm gonna say like Spider-Man PS4, but he's not in the films, so yeah. I have to I have to go with my guy Spider-Man PS4. But Andrew, Gar- I I love all the Spider-Man. I just haven't loved the MCU Spider-Man films. But um, I've talked about that multiple times on our podcast. Um, but I mean, there's yeah, I mean, like I didn't even say I didn't even mention She-Hulk coming to oh, the God. MCU too. Yeah, so like She-Hulk's gonna be a thing. Um, so like I, I see them like bringing in new characters and I also some, see them kind of redoing the same characters at the same time, yeah. mostly in the Disney plus shows is where you're going to see them. Um, but, um, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what the MCU does. Yeah. They have a lot of opportunities. Um, mm-hmm. so there's one segment that Grayson and I have done quite a bit here on rising action. Yeah. And we've kind of tentatively called it worlds we've been exploring. And essentially yeah. what that is, is. We talk about movies or books or comics or TV shows we've been watching and consuming 
and we just kind of go back and forth and sometimes it spirals into a full game review like we did a few episodes ago and it's like completely <laughs> out of left field and unplanned and you know we don't apologize I but love we stuff apologize. like that <laughs> yeah. so what worlds have you been exploring recently take us into a little deep dive real okay. quick so I definitely haven't had time to watch anything new lately but what I have done lately is I've gotten back into Halo 3 which okay is so nostalgic for me it was such a big it's like there was three years of my life that i wasted essentially yep. by playing halo 3 yep. 12 hours a day um <laughs> back in like 2007 to 2010 yeah um so yeah that's just kind of like i did start the campaign and i'm just like god this is amazing i wish they would get back into this so, sort of like form of storytelling in video games um because halo's just been very meh uh lately but yeah i was i was getting into that and then today randomly i stumbled upon this video on youtube that had stan lee talking about halo and i was like what What? i'm like i'm like this is clickbait i'm like he's not talking about halo this is like 10 years ago when halo reach was coming out yeah and it's so fascinating to listen to stan lee talk about halo because it it relates to how he um how he looks at his characters when he was creating those characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, he spoke a lot about, I mean, obviously like the hero's journey, but he spoke a lot about like um, getting, getting people to care about characters um, and um, finding ways that people can relate to those characters, building tension with characters. So you're like, Oh, I don't know, you know, if he's going to make it out and you start rooting for him. So it was yeah. really fascinating to hear him talk about that. Cause it's like worlds colliding for me where I'm like, Stanley is like, you know, big part of my life over here. And then halo was a huge part of my life at some point in time. Um, but yeah, I've been getting into halo, love that world. Um, excited to see what they do with infinite in the fall, but yeah, that's just been my thing lately. That's exciting. I'm really excited for halo infinite. I played halo three ODST, so much in middle school um (laughs) like xbox live days man yeah those were good days dude you you grew like kids grew up on x like we were hardened on xbox live yes like you weren't a man until you experienced xbox live (laughs) yeah like dude it got real luckily yeah, luckily I did not I I got on the Xbox Live after I hit puberty because I don't I did not. Like I I think about <laughs> all the times where I'll laugh at little kids on there and yeah. they're like screaming with their mom and they have the squeaky voice and stuff. Yep. Um luckily I didn't have to go through that, but yeah, like I think about it all the time. Like my little brother, he plays like Fortnite 24/7. He's 8. Jeez. And there's times where I'm like, God, I'm like, those kids are just so mean. I'm like, he's eight years old. And I'm like, I yep. want to be like, dude, just unplug your mic. Don't listen to them. But then I'm like, yeah. this is going to toughen you up. And in a few years, you're going to be thankful you went through that. Yeah. My little brother is seven. And I'm like, you're not like, I'm just as an older brother. I'm like, I know how much is there that you don't need. I'm not <laughs> yeah. letting you touch video games until you get much, much older. Like, yeah, they're great. But good God. It, yeah I, mean, I, I agree i agree completely i feel like i've wasted a lot of time on video games but yeah what about you what are you what are you watching so i Reading. covered my arse after the christopher nolan uh episode and i went back and uh finished memento and watched insomnia Oof. Oof. and um memento was really cool um it came out in 2000, and so seeing, like, I mean, it's got all the, 
like the stylistic choices that you would see in the early 2000s and yeah. like colors and, and effects and stuff like that. But it really held up. I was kind of surprised. I expected a movie that's psychological like that. Like there's always effects in early 2000s movies to kind of emphasize psychological issues that were sure. just really weird and like visually kind of gross. Yeah. There wasn't a whole lot of that. Um, and the story was really cool. Um, I really enjoyed that. Um, Insomnia, I was talking to Grayson after I watched it and, um, it was like the most non Christopher Nolan movie that I'd, I'd ever seen that. made by Christopher Nolan. It was like, this is a Christopher Nolan movie and it has none of his fingerprints on it. Yeah. It was just really weird. It was really good. It was a good movie, but it was very odd how little of typical Christopher Nolan things were there. Like there was nothing... So there was two things I remember telling Grayson that were really odd that weren't there at all. There was no cross-cutting uh, between different storylines, which he's done. Even if he doesn't do a non-linear story, he's going to cross-cut between different things going on. That's what made right. the, the Dark Knight trilogy so fast-paced was there was constant rising and falling action, and it was cutting between those things. Sure. There was none of that. It was just very much a linear point A to point B story, um, and there was no non-linear anything so it really just felt like a good studio film which is really bizarre because yeah. i expect so much different things from christopher nolan that i was like this is odd but it was good it's a little bit earlier christopher nolan maybe he's trying to figure himself out at that's the time. what i kind of landed on i was like he hadn't i had a conversation with a couple different people about it and i think the consensus is he just kind of paid his dues with the studio. He kind of did what they wanted. And then in turn, they allowed him to make whatever he wanted later. And sure. it all panned out. So it's kind of like insomnia is Nolan paying his dues. Um, I gave it four out of five stars. So it was still really good, but it was odd. It's like, uh, I, I think he definitely paid his dues, especially with the dark Knight trilogy. From what I understand, like his, his like meeting with wb was that i'm in i'll do these three films and but i want after that i want to be able to make the movies that i want which now i think he gets paid 20 million dollars a film since the dark he's Knight. gotten with tenet his uh earnings are tied to the the worldwide earnings for the movie so i think he's got jeez i don't i almost don't want to say 20 percent, but i felt like i saw like John Campea saying it was like 20% of the global take. That's a lot of money. Absurd amount of money. Like he stands to make or lose, I guess with COVID like 40 to $60 million (laughs) or lose. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's, that's insane. I mean, like that's, that's the ultimate like sign of respect to a filmmaker. Yeah. I hope somebody like Denis Villeneuve gets there because he's definitely earned it. He's like, for me, I think he's like on that Nolan level. Mm-hmm. Um, he just which makes is a shame different that, things. Yeah, it's like every every film's a little bit different. You could definitely tell that he like leans towards the science fiction mm-hmm. genre a little bit more. Um, but which is why I'm really, really excited for Dune because that is have, right up Villeneuve's yes. alley. Yes, I, I hope it doesn't fall flat like Blade Runner did, like financially, because it was yeah. obviously like well received by critics. Um, but yeah, I hope I hope really performs well for him did you ever see enemy it's like no. a, it's, it's his smallest film he's done it's with jake gyllenhaal okay um no it I don't may think be on netflix yeah I think it may we be on talked netflix. about it briefly on the 
on his episode, but I don't think I've actually seen it. Yeah, so Enemy, I mean, it's definitely not for everyone. But mm-hmm. if you want a film that's going to, like, when you turn it off, you're going to be like, what exactly did I just watch? Like, you're going to be like, what happened? What does this mean? You're going to yeah. start, like, going on Reddit and, like, looking up, like, different theories. Like, that's a great film to watch okay. if you want to just, like, have your mind melted. Um, but I'm it's definitely, I mean, like, it's definitely out there, and it's it's very weird. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, his 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 choices with storytelling and the way he got, I mean, everything about that film. I think it was shot by Roger Deakins and like everything about that film is just amazing. (laughs) And then like, it's one of Jake Gyllenhaal's best performances. I think super underrated. Even more than like a nightcrawler or a, (laughs) I hesitate to even say it, but broke back mountain. Something like that. Yeah. I mean like it's like there. nightcrawler is my favorite performance by Jake Gyllenhaal. Okay. But it's definitely like it's right up there. He plays two characters, so he plays he plays himself and he plays like a twin version of himself. It's more of like a psychological thing going on. Okay. You know, I haven't seen the film, but I think uh-huh. I've read a book that it was like loosely based on. Yeah, it is based on a it's it's based on a book. Um I don't remember the book might have been called I think the book I'm thinking of was written by a dude named Ken Follett and it was called like the twin or something. That's interesting. I don't know if it's based on, I mean, that concept is probably it may be it. death, but it, it may, that. that may be it. I remember Denis Villeneuve like talking about it yeah. and he said he basically adapted it, but kind of made it more about like, um, he made it more about himself and what's going on in his mind. Yeah. Um, and kind of like use that character to kind of like, tweak this story a bit yeah but i mean i highly recommend it to anyone really like listening to the podcast or if you want to watch it josh it's like it's a really cool movie did you see so there was a movie that came out on netflix that was making waves the past week did you see the old guard yet no i haven't so i watched it and i was pleasantly surprised the old guard yeah with Charlize theron and um, who else is in that movie of note I need to save it real I quick. I literally don't think there's anybody else famous in there. When did this come out? This came out Recent? literally a week ago. Okay, yeah. So, action fantasy. Oh, okay, yeah, I did see a little bit of this on Twitter. It's got Chiwetel Ejiofor. I really hope I didn't butcher that. No, I think you nailed it. Um, so, it's got him. That's about it. It's It's a whole bunch of no names after that, but... I think if you don't go into it expecting it to be the greatest thing ever, you'll be pleasantly surprised. Okay. Um, it's got really good action sequences, like really, really good action sequences. And um, Netflix been kind of like really stepping it up with their action films. Yeah, it's it's not quite. It's not the level of extraction in that. Sure. It's it's not got the like the the technical feats that extraction does mm-hmm. for its action. But just like the sheer brutality and they play with like these characters are sort of immortal ish. Mm -hmm. And so they play with that. Um, They're not like immortal, but they're immortal. You'll have to watch it to understand what that means. But um, they play with that immortality and like it changes how you would think as a soldier if you think you're not going to die if you do something. Sure. Yeah. So. There's there's some cool moments in there where it's like this is really really interesting. Um, 
I don't know if anything like that has been done that I've seen. It was a cool little cool little movie. Um, I guess it's not really little. It had a pretty large budget, but um, it's I'm it sure Charlie's made up for most of that budget. She was good. I yeah. I saw Chris Stuckman say that it had just enough character to really pull you through it, and there's some really <laughs> good character moments in there, and the action sequences are really entertaining. Um, the in between moments can get a little slow, but sure, it was good. I liked it. Yeah, I love Charlie's and. I'm sure she did a lot of her stunts like she did in Atomic Blonde. Oh, yeah. Um, so she, she's amazing, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll definitely check that out. That sounds cool. So that's about it for this episode, really diving into Marvel and how it has changed filmmaking and cinema. Thank you so much for being on the episode, Keenan. Where can everybody find you and what you're about and what you're doing? Yeah, my big thing is the Comic Blast podcast. Obviously, you probably have heard Grayson talk about it at some point in time on this show, but that's our big thing. We have actually an episode um, coming out tomorrow, which Josh will actually be on. Um, so definitely check that out. And you can find me at Keenan Creates on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome, man. Yeah, like you said, I'll be on the episode of Comic Blast coming out tomorrow. I think this will go live later that day. Uh, back so to back back to Just back listen to them back to back yeah that was a lot of fun uh, go check out Comic Blast leave them a rating um, I know that means a lot to them do that for Absolutely. us as well um, <laughs> here Heck at Rising yeah. Action we would love to have uh, you know leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts but um, thank you everybody for listening you can find us on Instagram at Rising Action underscore you can find me on Twitter at Josh underscore J 98 and on Instagram at Josh Johnson 98. But that is it for this episode. Thank you everybody for listening and we'll see you next week.